Welcome to the Orion Podcast, hosted by Jessa and Laurel of A Stellar Co., a podcast that connects you with the knowledge and resources you need to drive a more conscious form of capitalism. Orion starts now. Hey, Laurel. Hey, Jessa. Who's our guest today? (laughs) We have Rachel Alexandria. Thanks so much for being with us. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah. And Jessa, how did we meet Rachel? Uh, we met her through our co-working space at Hera Hub, which we're at now today. Um, or Laurel and I are here, <laughs> I guess I should say, or and, uh, during the pandemic. We've been, I think, in the same room three times now in the last probably year. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. There, we actually have a client that we only recently met in person. It was like we've been working with her for months and months and months and months. And then we finally like met in person, socially distanced safely, of course. But yeah, it's been a rarity to be in the same space together. I'm grateful to have this time to start 2021 off with in person. Yeah. Well, and that's how we got introduced to Rachel, though, is through Hera Hub, the co-working space, which is amazing. Um, check it out, herahub.com and free pub. <laughs> and, um, and so... Parahub has like all these really amazing virtual events to connect its members across the country because it has a lot of different locations. And Rachel leads the Monday, I know you lead different ones, but I met Rachel in the Monday accountability call, which working remotely from home, working on your own, it's really easy to get distracted and really easy to procrastinate. And so Rachel has led these Monday calls and keeps everyone on track. Is like, okay, what are you going to do this week? And then the next week we follow up and it's like, okay, this is what you said you're going to do. Where are you at? So anyway, Rachel, um, thank you for joining us again. And can you give us an introduction to yourself and the business that you run? Sure. So I am a former psychotherapist turned into more of what I call a guide. So I help um, high performers with sensitive souls to get over their fears and take action on their dreams, which I know can sound like a lot of coachy type people, but I'm a lot more than a coach. Um, I have an energy work background. I have a, uh, you know, eight years as a licensed psychotherapist background. And so I take people through, it's not like the accountability group. It's not like, (laughs) did you get your stuff done this week? Um, I take people deep into the the roots of what's stopping them and help them get that baggage like really actually out of the way, not just push through it, but, you know, with their internal consent, actually transforming themselves. And uh, I just had a client actually leave me a testimonial yesterday and be like, this most amazing thing happened, like on the way to the work that she she hired me to do. She also discovered how much easier it is to just say no to people without being a jerk and without feeling bad about it. It's not what we've been working on, but it's what's happened is actually a side product of our work. Um, and this is somebody who is really influential in the city and does like major construction projects. Like, it's funny how this happens to people and everyone everyone that I work with, you know, has like a higher level of success, but they have these secret fears, like about these like messy areas of their lives. And they're like, Oh, I don't have it all together. Everybody else out there who's successful has it together, but not me. And there's all this stuff I have to be ashamed of. And I can't really be all of me until I get this together. And I'm like, it's everybody. 
but yeah, we can help you out. That's, I was thinking of you because I, I haven't met you yet, but I was in preparation for this podcast episode. I was thinking of you this past week because I went from, you know, holiday season, um, which is very different than normal life. And, and I came back to work and just started to pound the pavement with mm. work not addressing anything that I felt or experienced over the holiday seasons. And there was a lot of fear and a lot of shame that I was like, I'm just going to move through work and just get it done. And uh, it hit me, I think on Tuesday night where I was like, Oh, I haven't dealt with any emotions. I have not processed any of my fears and not addressed anything. And I was like, that is why I feel so blocked through this whole week so I'm assuming some of your clients might be people like Jessa and me who own their own business, who make their own decisions and are, like you said, high performers and probably multi-passionate entrepreneurs who are on the go, 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 go. And then all of a sudden their fears that they haven't addressed creep up at the most awkward, weird times, like the drive on the way to see you. This, this person was like had an aha moment. Uh, I think, I think one of the things we wanted to ask you about is like, what are some of the other aha moments that your clients come to that you've helped realize? You know, um, oh boy, so many, you know, I, I, I could give you the general, like if everybody, everybody wants, you know, they go to therapy or you go to coaches because you want the answer. And I'm going to give you that answer right now. It's your childhood. <laughs> Whatever is troubling you right now, it has roots in your childhood. Like 99%. And, and it's really boring, actually. Like when you get in there, people are like, oh, who could have imagined that this time when an adult told me to keep a secret and that I'd be in trouble if I revealed it would put me in a place where I feel guilty all the time and I feel like I can't tell people the truth. Well, yeah, like it's always really simple when you uncover it, when you like really feel safe enough to get into it. But the thing is, you can't know it intellectually and heal from it. You have to like, you have to get it viscerally. Like we have to go through the experience of, of uncovering something. So, Thanks, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, my mom listens. Allegedly, she listens. We'll find out. But uh, look what damage you've done. <laughs> yeah, my mom, if she, well, she'll listen probably. She'll be like, I know, it's all my fault. <laughs> you would blame me. You would blame everything on me. That's what you always do. Right, right. Well, I mean, it's our formative times. It, they call it the formative years. That's not just a pretty phrase. Like, it, it forms who we are. And a lot of the stuff that impacts us when we're children, we're not powerful when we're children. We, we cannot fend for ourselves. We are not physically or financially or legally allowed to do so. So when people do stuff to us or with us that feels hard or scary and they don't make space for our emotions around it, we, it's a survival threat, basically. And we carry that forward into adulthood, usually without ever really thinking about it or addressing it. So, um, you know, you don't have to go into therapy specifically to deal with that. But if you don't wrangle with that, it will always control you. What are, sorry, Jessa, what are some of the things that we put over? Like as adults, mm. what, what are the coverings that we put over? Oh, work, you know. 
So if yeah. I perform enough, if I just get enough things done off my to-do list, if I achieve this level, then I'll be okay. I'll finally be good enough. I'll finally prove to myself and I'll prove to those other people that I'm not broken, I'm not wrong, I'm not worthless. Um, so work is a huge one. It's part of why I work with high performers because I know what they're doing. It's like <laughs> there is a way to achieve and accomplish cool things without being driven by trauma. But most of the time, that's how people are doing it. So, um, I mean, just look at, you know, the news over the last 20 years. And you, you see it writ large all the time. People's messes come out that are CEOs and politicians. And, uh, you know, that's a healing we have to do. Um, and uh, so work is something we put over it. We put over it, I mean, of course, alcohol, substances, shopping, money, sex. I mean, uh, anything that will distract us. Or, or somehow give us a temporary feeling that we're okay, that we're, that we're, you know, having fun in this moment, that we're liked, that we're respected, that we're loved. Um, and, of course, it's great to have those experiences in moderation, but uh, it's never going to heal that wound. It's never going to substitute for the knowing inside yourself that you actually already are enough no matter what. And when you talk about this, and, you know, your work, when you say with highly sensitive souls, is that, I guess, like, can you define highly sensitive soul? Like, is that someone who's gone through more of a traumatic childhood or they just feel it more traumatically? Like, I would say another word for sensitive soul, and not all my clients would define this way, but I know them when I see them. Uh, empaths, people who are pretty sensitive to the feelings of others, people who feel like they have to track how others feel in order to adapt and be strategic in the workplace or at home, um, people who are easily affected by the things in the world that affect other people. So if you look at the news and you feel it in your body, you're a sensitive soul. And so with your type of work, is that when you say you work with these people, is that for you to attract these people, like for them to realize, like, cause some people pro I'm sure don't even, like you said, they, they don't realize that they don't identify that other people are like, Oh yeah, I feel that and are clicking with what you're saying. And so how does that relate to the context of your work and your services you provide, I guess? Um, you're asking how does identifying them as sensitive souls? Yeah. So when you say you work with them, would you, um, how do I frame this? Like if someone comes in and they're not a sensitive soul, mm -hmm. but they still want to work with you and they've gone through things, is it like, are they not going to benefit as much from your services because they, they don't, don't ever come to me? That's, that's the what funny I was wondering. Thing. I guess maybe that's a better way to say it. It's like, are there more people like hear what you're saying and they click they're like, Oh, that's me. I want to work with her. Yeah. People know it in their gut. Um, I actually just sent out a survey to current and past clients um, written by my amazing copywriter. Shout out to Kelly Stokes Brown, also a Hera Hub member. Um, and a lot of a lot of people who responded to the survey when they when it was asking them, how do you you know, how did you decide to work with me or how did you find me? They were like, it was a gut feeling mm. all the time. 
So people who aren't what I would call sensitive souls, people who are a bit more, um, well, first of all, they're not usually doing a ton of personal growth work. I think people mm. who are attracted to, to growing themselves and improving themselves are going to be more likely to be sensitive souls. Um, but the truth is you don't work with me and not change literally that doesn't happen. So people who aren't sensitive souls who maybe just want a quick fix or want to learn how to manipulate a system to get the result they want, um, they're not going to be drawn to working with me because I see, I see them. I see beyond the presentation. I see people deeply. And that is usually kind of terrifying for people who aren't ready to do the work. And when you just say that, that reminds me, um, I meant to ask earlier, when you say my naivete, psychotherapists, is that what we colloquial say, colloquial, why can I not say it, colloquially say as therapist? Yeah, yeah. I say psychotherapist is a funny side story, but when I used to just introduce myself at networking things and whatever as a therapist, for some reason there's something about me that people would go, oh, physical? Like physical therapy? And I'm like, no. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but I'm just like, I think physical therapists would say PT. So it's interesting that I just, I got that enough times that I was like, no, psychotherapist or mental health counselor. That was my, yeah, that's interesting. What, okay. Thank you for defining that. Yeah. <laughs> How did you go from being a psychotherapist to owning your own business and going, oh, there's a market here, there's a niche here? Or were you like, did you have a revelation where you're like, this is my gift to the world and it's more fully expressed through my business? Yeah, I mean, more the latter. I always owned my own business. Um, I moved I moved to California from Washington State and Washington State has different regulations than California. So right out of grad school, actually while I was in grad school, I started a business once I graduated, I pivoted the business into specifically psychotherapy. I was doing like coaching for writers um, because that's my other background. And so I was running my own business the whole time, having outside supervision on my work as I built up my full hours. Um, so I've been in business for myself for 14 years. Um, but working as a psychotherapist, while I really loved it, I was never as successful as I wanted to be, meaning I wasn't, I was like always scraping by. I didn't take insurance. I just didn't want to get into that model. Nothing, nothing wrong with, I mean, obviously we should all, we should all have health care and we should all have mental health care. Let me just say that straight up. But the way that the for-profit insurance stuff works, especially on the back end when you're a therapist, I just didn't want to get into it. It didn't feel in alignment for me. So I was always struggling. And I just kept having conversations with, I call it spirit. I just, that's how I refer to my connection with this greater, um, you know, some people might say the universe, some people might say God, I call it spirit. Um, I had a lot of conversations with spirit where I was like, I feel like I'm called to do this work, but I, I need to be able to feed myself, you know, <laughs> please, please guide me, please help me. And after a number of years and a lot of different learnings and, you know, it, it was, it was a thing. Um, I hit a moment in 2015 where I was just like, okay, what, like, please tell me, should I go get a job instead? What, what do I need to do? And it was, it was a quick series of really intense revelations of like, 
I need to change how I structure everything. Like, I need to change what I charge. I need to make this be a thing that people can lean into more and feel safer. And I, I got clarity about who I wanted to help, which is people who have higher leverage. I want to change the lives of people who affect more people. Because then if I work with 10 clients, they might touch 10,000 with the good work that they're doing. So um, that's, you know, that's people who can afford to pay more, to be honest. And um, so I, yeah, within... Maximizing your impact as well. Like Mm -hmm. you said, I think that's that's a really intentional and thoughtful approach. Mm Mm-hmm. So then after, when I figured that out, within two weeks, I made all the moves to let go of my therapy office. I transitioned a bunch of my clients, therapy clients that either graduated or they stepped into a new way of working with me that was not therapy anymore and uh, let go of my license. Wow. Which a lot of people are like, what are you doing? Yeah, I was like, that would be a really big decision. I... I I'm really clear that I am here to serve and what I understand from, you know, how I've learned to listen to spirit and my instinct and my intuition. Um, I just follow everything. Everything works well when I don't try to steer my life, like from a place of ego, from a place of like my own thinking, I can control everything when I listen and then I act, things go much better. And for your services, like, what is that? I, I, I don't know much about therapy. Like, I've gone, I know it exists, but I know, anyway, I know a little bit. Mm-hmm. But that being said, when you talk about making that decision to, you know, give up your license and transition into this, to like the soul guidance and that what you're providing to the high performers, mm-hmm. like, what changes? if any, I guess, like, do you have to make to how you approach? I, so, um, just from a legal slash ethical standpoint, there's something called the general assessment of functioning. So I'm going to get real nerdy techie on you just (laughs) for that, just because it's, yeah, it's worthwhile. And it's something that, uh, that coaches should know about too. And I don't know what the rules are in California. I know the rules in Washington state, but I'm assuming California is going to be something similar. Um, there's a general assessment of functioning score. It's one of many measurements that we work in, in, in psychology. And, um, if somebody is at a lower score then I think it's like 65 and there's, there's something in, I think it's in the DSM, the diagnostical and statistical manual of you know, health issue, mental health issues. Um, if somebody is scoring below a certain point of functioning, they're not supposed to be working with a, or like a coach should not be working with them. It should be working with a therapist. You have to have somebody who's had a certain amount of training, ethical training, um, training on suicidality, training on psychopharmacology. Even if you're not a prescriber, you just have to understand things about mental health, mood disorders, personality disorders, things like that. So stepping into um, doing what I'm doing now and not being a therapist, I'm super clear on the level of functioning a person needs to be at. 
So I'm not working with somebody who's in a major depressive episode, for example. I'm not working with somebody who's got like chronic anxiety that impedes their functioning. I'm working with what we call the worried well. <laughs> that, thank you for explaining that. That is so clear and so helpful and answers like a million questions I've had, which actually turns out to be one. <laughs> but I think too, like your background in this as a professional uh, psychotherapist allows you, well, I'm assuming allows you to see, oh, this is like, if you were to encounter one of these people who did need to see a licensed psychotherapist, like, okay, like you like see this person first and then we'll work on your we can work through the other things later, but um, I'm sure it allows you to identify that where, you know, if one of us, if we, someone's sad, it's like sad. It's like, ah, oh, cheer up. Just, you know, it's hard to tell. I mean, this is why you go, it's why you go to, to two years of graduate school and you have to have 3000 hours in practice. You know, it's not something that's easy to tell just off the bat. I mean, all the time we're encountering people who are like, I did not realize that person was a narcissist. Right. Like you don't know. Um, you have to, it's sort of like, uh, I'm sure people, I am not a sailor. I, I'm not, I don't know a lot about boats and water, but I get this impression that it's similar. Like you start to learn how to read the signs of the sky and the, and the water and the temperatures. You just start to develop this, this sense of things. So I know when a wind is blowing a certain way because of my experience and it's unfortunate that a lot of people in the coaching industry, they don't. And so they're going to end up working with people that really they shouldn't be working with. And those people, you know, may have gone to a coach because they have a stigma around therapists. And it's really unfortunate. And both those industries have a, have a reckoning that needs to happen, but I'm not in charge of that. So all I can, (laughs) all I can know is how to, how to be appropriate and ethical for me. Yeah. Thank you. But, um, yeah, I feel like I could go down that path a little bit. I have a lot of opinions and questions, but, um, yeah, I was thinking, cause I have a different, uh, experience with different tools and modalities than, than Jessa does. I've been in therapy for a long time. I've done, uh, you. thank you. Well, I'm, I now see it as a lovely gift. Thank mm-hmm. you. Um, thanks, Jessica. Just patted me on the back. I love it. She knows I love a good compliment. It'll feed me for like a, a month so, or so. I, I love what does that. Mean? I know. Right. Let's <laughs> dig into that. Let's that. <laughs> Turns into therapy hour. I, I do love uh, therapists. I think because just getting it out um, really helps me understand. I, I've mentioned on our podcast many times that Jessa is an excellent sounding board. She has this incredible gift to tell it like it is. And I don't mean, um, harsh or brash, but just the true naming of things like Jessa can get real clear on like, no, Laurel, it's not that it's this, but she she says it in a beautiful, loving, loving way. And therapists are really good at that. Um, just putting the true name of a feeling, reminding us that feelings are not right or wrong to work through the feelings, accept what they are, because Mm -hmm. I struggle with as an entrepreneur, I struggle with control. I, I didn't realize this for a very long time in my other professions that I wanted to be the boss and that I wanted to make decisions. And that's where I feel best. Mm -hmm. Um, our advisors 
at a group called Execute Innovation really changed that for me. We took these assessments and it was like, oh, Laurel, you're really angry and unhappy because you are supposed to be making decisions that are not. <laughs> and so so being with Jessa and launching in our own business and having that partnership is my therapy. It is my growth. It's my personal exploration. I've And I've done, of course, like much deeper modalities like psychedelic journeys and things like that to, to really break the barriers that I've put over the light and the love. And so I just want to encourage people listening to this. There are many tools in the toolbox to explore. I feel very strongly about your gift, Rachel. I can just, when you said, I see people, some people can take that really, like put them on their heels and feel like, oh my gosh, she's judging me. She sees my true nature. I can't hide from her. I encourage people to really go for it. Just really go for it. The thing is, you know, when you really see people deeply, you, you can't do that and judge them. Like we're yeah. all, we all have inner children. We, we all get scared. We all want to belong. We all need love. You know, most of us, the majority of us are doing things for really understandable reasons. And I have a deep compassion for all of it. I am not, I am not excluded from this. I, you know, I, I see the, the pettiness and the, anger and the vengefulness and the you know selfishness inside of me and I accept it and that's how I'm able to do that for other people too because it's just human like it's not wrong it's not broken it's just there and we have the you know the ability to learn how to make choices to take actions that live up to our values it doesn't mean that that stuff goes away inside it's okay that it's there. We just, we just get to make good choices and learn how to make better ones. I, I think that many entrepreneurs, business owners, entrepreneurs, they take other people's words, opinions, and lifestyle as a personal attack, or they take um, someone's reactions very personally. And for me, a a big moment in, in change in becoming more, a more authentic leader is learning that what I don't like that makes me kind of recoil about someone else is truly a reflection of something I need to work on. Yeah. Yeah. You're pointing to yourself. Yeah. It's, it's really, well, it's all about me. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm like, we have a couch in here. <laughs> yeah. We'll move one in. I'm going to get billed by the hour for this. <laughs> I, I would say I would really encourage people to find a Rachel mm. uh, or Rachel. What? What's that? <laughs> or Rachel. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Rachel. The Rachel. Oh, Rachel. Rachel Alexandria at rachelalexandria.com. She's got a lovely logo, which brings me. Okay. I digress, but I have yeah. to ask you, mm-hmm. please describe your logo to the audience and explain where that came from because I saw it and I feel good. Oh, that's so nice. That makes me so happy. Thank (laughs) you. I'm actually right in the middle of a visual and uh, copy rebrand, but the logo will not change. So that is the one thing I'm I'm keeping. Um, The logo, boy, that was a journey trying to figure out how to represent what I'm doing. It's it's basically like an illustrated semi like rainbow colored dragon with a little bit of phoenix in it so so for those i got the phoenix vibes 
Did you? Uh, so I actually started out by trying to replicate my tattoo. I have a tattoo on my ankle that's a phoenix that I got years and years ago when I went away to grad school for the very first time, just kind of like, I think I want to change my life. And I got it to remind myself that change is painful, but a necessary component to living an awake life. Like the, the experience of the phoenix being reborn in fire is what it, what it felt like to me. And so I started trying to make, <laughs> because I didn't know back then that your business is not you. I'm just finding a picture of it to Oh, we have all. many opinions on the matter. <laughs> so for anybody who's can see the video, that's my logo. Um, so it looks like a dragon breathing a little smoky fire. That's also rainbow colored. And it's more of an abstract version of a dragon than a cartoon. There's some negative space there. Mm -hmm. Just yeah. describing to people that can't see. No, I love, <laughs> it. I love yeah. it. Thank you. And shout out to moto.red. Um, Ruby rain is the person who designed that logo for me. And it's, I love it. It's fantastic. It's really cool. Um, and for those who know about the concepts of yin and yang, they are represented in, and again, I'm not going to be the best person to speak about this super knowledgeably, but I believe in Chinese archetypes as a dragon and a phoenix. So there is that element of balance woven into this logo too, because that's so critical. Like we have to do the inner work, but we also have to learn to do interpersonal work. You know, we have to embrace our soft qualities and embrace our assertive qualities. Um, so that's also in there. And why rainbow? I, you know, I wanted to have a nod to really being a safe space for diversity. That was, that was my intention with that. And I mean, I'm a rainbow unicorn, you know. <laughs> you are a rainbow unicorn. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah, we um you had mentioned just a minute ago that you're just learning that your business isn't supposed to be you. Mm. And I said we have many opinions on the matter. <laughs> and we'll just quickly vocalize that we feel very strongly that our business is us. And so mm. we created our culture and our core values. They are ours. Mm -hmm. um, and our personal ones, of course, are in alignment, but not much different. And mm. we, I will say for myself, I will often go through the Estellar co-values and come up with stories of how I've lived those in my personal life because our business and our personal is so interconnected and interwoven that I just, and they mutually aggrandize each other. So I feel more expansive when I'm implementing the Estellar co-values in alignment with like some of my traditional Catholic values are veritas, unitas, caritas. And that kind of just means everything, right? Like we could just summarize it into all like the word all it's probably a correct well, answer a business although legally a person I, it's run by people mm -hmm. and so when we were first early on and I'm I'm just wondering if you were given some of the same advice is that when early on we were told you're you're building a brand this isn't about you like this isn't yourself this is about your business and we're like okay and we, we took that advice <coughs> working with it and we kept coming back and we're like screw this. Like, this is us. Like, you know, we're, and for our business, for a seller code, you know, we're not going to build it some big monolith. And so maybe it's different if you're building that type of business, that's going to grow and scale really large. And for us, we're just like, this, this is us. Like we're putting like our like blood, sweat and tears into this. 
Not literally, thank God. But <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> maybe the tears. <laughs> that would be on my end. <laughs> you know, uh, I ran my business like it was me for a long time, especially because I'm a I'm a single service provider, right? Uh, I mean, at this point, I'm I have a five year or 10 year or whatever. Like I have an eye on the future of, of building a bigger team for sure. Um, so I, it is a corporation now. Um, Alexandria enterprises is actually the name of the corporation. I just don't trade under that name yet. So, um, but what I had to learn is that when I say my business is not me, spiritually like they're they're they have different vibes a bit this is something i learned from my spiritual teacher and marketing wise you know i can't just put my favorite frilly colors and like fairy pictures and whatever on my business because it's not attracting the right people who my business needs to attract and what the brand needs to look like specific look like and sound like specifically it has to be flavored by me of course because it does represent me but but we are two different faces like I'll you can see on my Facebook profile I'm running around like on my birthday wearing sparkly gold pants and like a unicorn horn and dancing on the beach but that's not the face of the brand only because you know I mean you, you don't wear your running shorts to work it's kind of that. Not when you're meeting with a client. Moving on. So I guess that's, uh, you know, everyone's getting a pass. Well, and so as you talk about this and like your brand and the business sense, what, what are the services? Like, what are the actual services that you're providing people? Is it one-on-one I don't, do you call it coaching? Do you call it guiding? And I, you know, when I look at your website, I know there's kind of a handful of different offerings and I just, it's a little I, overwhelming right now. No, uh, well, it's fine. And like you just said, you're going through some of a rebrand. So yeah. I guess, you know, when people are listening to this and thinking, Oh, I think this is me. Like, what would that look like to engage you in? And what are the options? Right. So, um, the, the major offerings are that I do guidance work with people, which is, basically contract work on retainer. So my clients hire me for three or six month intervals. Um, and we have a weekly session and then I'm available to them 24 seven through messaging apps. So it's, it's, that's another way that it's different than therapy. Like I'm more involved in my clients' lives as they would like me to be. Um, I help them work through hard moments. I help them, you know, review their, you know, a letter they might send to a new client. I help them, you know, work through a hard text conversation with their mom. So, um, so yeah, the guidance contract allows them to hire me at the start and then just lean into the relationship because that's something else I discovered is really different than therapy. People feel like they have to keep making this purchase decision and keep making this commitment decision over and over and, since the kind of people I work with are kind of like recovering good girls and recovering good boys, that's, that's what I used to call, that's what I used to call my target. Um, but these high performers with these sensitive souls, like they don't have the easiest time 
leaning into support. They feel like they have to do it all themselves. And so that's part of what's happening in the working with me is that they're learning how to start receiving help and just and, and allowing it to be okay to have support. And then, you know, we talk too about how to bring that support in in other places in their life. But I mean, I have people who've been working with me for seven years at this point because they want to have at this point, a mentor that they really can trust is on their side, will listen really empathetically and open-mindedly, but will also challenge them and keep a perspective on all the work that they've been doing. So, um, so that's the primary way is through guidance work, like a guidance contract. The second way, yeah, people can hire me for a one-off session. I call them magic sessions. So it's like, bring whatever your issue is and you know, I, I can't say exactly how we're going to deal with it, but you'll get some kind of answer. You'll get some kind of experience. Um, you'll get some sort of relief or awareness in a session. And then uh, I also have started this last year in 2020 running a group program called Soul School. So they're uh, six-month iterations. So the first level is called Journey Inward. And it's where I teach them all of the tools that I've picked up to, to really fine tune, like listen to and fine tune my inner GPS, how to support myself, how to listen to myself, how to trust myself. So that's what they get in Journey Inward. And then they progress to Journey Outward if they want to do the next six month journey. And that's all interpersonal conversations, difficult situations, like how to navigate living from that GPS with other people and, uh, you know, dealing with all the guilt and confusion and, um, issues that come up around that. That's great. Like, as they're talking about this, um, you know, Laurel and I have learned from our advisors and it sounds like exactly what you're saying is, you know, you, you need to learn yourself and have self-awareness before you can really know others. And, you know, as you offer these, like the, the one-on-one guidance and the soul, soul journey, soul school, soul school. I love alliteration. I can't believe I, soul <laughs> school. Uh, what are, what are some client success stories that you're able to share about people who have seen have, have results from doing the work? One of my favorites was, it felt like a huge, it was such a huge triumph for her. And I was so proud to see it happen. Um, one of my clients went from, uh, being a lawyer in kind of a well-known um, nonprofit, but kind of being at like a mid-level in there. And she identified that she wanted to like be able to, like once you're in a mid-level in corporations, and I'm, I'm not super, well, anyway, I've never worked in corporations. I've always worked for the government or myself. So, but I, I see this, like once you get to a certain level in corporations, you kind of have to learn how to fuel your own star and be ready to shine in order to get promoted up higher. And she wanted to do that. She wanted to learn to get better on video. Like she had an idea for a product within the company that she thought would really increase their efficiency and, you know, also make the workload a lot lighter for her team. And she was terrified to be on video. She had all kinds of self-judgment And I worked with her and I was like holding the camera. Like I was there helping her with the encouragement. We 
you know, this is back when we could meet in person. Um, and she finally developed the thing. She put it out, and because of this and other work that she had been doing, we talked a lot about her politics and her job and how to better work with her boss and better, because they didn't quite get along. He wasn't as much of a champion for her as she wanted in seeking a promotion. I helped her better understand how to navigate that. And she ended up being the person who was speaking at a large corporate event, introducing like one of their like C-suite people to, to a whole room of you know, hundreds of people, which is a thing she'd always been terrified to do. Like, I got her to the place where she could do that. And after her introduction, one of the C-suite people she'd introduced said, oh, thank you so much. She's so great. Oh, and she doesn't know it, but today she's getting promoted. Oh. Like, I got to see that video. And I was just like, (laughs) it was amazing. And she actually leapt from that promotion into an even more dream job a couple years later. Um, So that's an example. That's so great. And, you know, as you're telling that story, I just, it's such a familiar story, I think, of people getting stuck and, you know, like kudos to your client for realizing, like, I want to do more. I need help. Like, you know, I've reached where I can get out without having someone externally like help me. And we all have help one way or another. It doesn't matter what you're doing anywhere in the world. You're not doing it alone. And I think, you know, people, they're just kind of waiting for something to happen. And they don't take that initiative realizing that they need to make the change. They, they need to be the person like you said, to, to fuel their star and like having someone like you to come in, like you don't, you know, we talk a lot about entrepreneurship and owning business because that's what we do, but you could be, like you said, in a corporation, you could be wanting just like the next step up in that position or changing careers, you don't, or, or starting your own business or going back to school, whatever it is. And having someone like you, Rachel, to, to kind of guide, like you said, these conversations, I just, you know, if you are listening and you feel stuck, <laughs> rachelalexandria.com. <laughs> I was going to ask. Not an ad. <laughs> I was going to ask uh, for people that are unaware of themselves, that are not, not have not gone through some self-awareness or self-growth work, how do they know they need you? What is the feeling or the experience that these people are having that they, sh- that they um, don't have to have, don't have to feel? You know, to be honest, uh, people who haven't done any self-growth work aren't my clients. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not entry level. That's mm-hmm. just the honest truth. Um, so people who... I, I would say for anybody, if you're feeling... If you're not feeling free, if you're not feeling free to make choices, if you think that there's all these things you literally can't do... Um, it's probably a good idea to try to find somebody to work with because most of the limitations, not all, I mean, granted, you know, we, we definitely have societal problems. We definitely have people who are prohibited from being as free as some others are. That is, that is just true. Um, and, uh, a lot of limitations that we believe we have are actually just mental. There's a, yeah, apologies to interrupt. It, okay. There's a an the Eagles um, song. There's a line in there that my dad and I always refer to when we try to describe 
the point of change. And it's so oftentimes we live our lives in change, never even knowing we had the key. Mm-hmm. And so if you feel like you're, you're in chains, like you said, I mean, I mean, for my pitiful, pivotal moments, it was around frustration, mm. feeling very stuck and frustrated and going, why am I so irritated, annoyed, frustrated? Why am I not getting my way? Am I egotistical? Am I doing something wrong? Why am I, why am I nearly impossible to please? And how can I not please other people? And then you get to a point where you realize, oh, okay, I've got to do some like freeing of myself. I'm mm-hmm. containing myself. I have these limiting beliefs. Uh, and that's what it is. When you put like, you know, Jessa, her gift is putting names to things. It's like those, the limiting beliefs, the stories you're telling you yourself in your head, mm-hmm. you have the key to unlock that and, and Rachel is the one to help you, to guide you because doing it alone, many entrepreneurs, like I listen to Tim Ferriss, you know, pretty frequently recently. And he keeps talking about how I just thought I could reason my way through it alone. <laughs> I really honestly thought I'm, I'm a white male with money. There's nothing in my way. I can do it on my own. And it's uh-huh. like, no, 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 no boo. <laughs> no. And you don't have to, like, it's just so much harder. And, and it's really mostly unsuccessful. Like, you know, we, we are, we are mostly caused hurt by other people, but we also have to heal with other people, you know, and the hurt we were caused can make us afraid or wary of accepting any kind of help from people because they don't feel trustworthy. I would say when people feel like that, you just need to find someone better and trust is is created over time. I just saw somebody uh, I think it was I think it was uh TK Coleman that I follow on Instagram. I don't remember that just said he had like five Instagram screens and they all said to build trust, tell the truth. Hmm. But it's so complicated. <laughs> it really isn't. It feels complicated until no, you get to the other I, side. Then you're like, oh, I could just say this. I know. I'm like, nothing that comes of lying. Like, nothing. No. And I, the, I sometimes, even, you know what? I tell you about Sometimes I'll lie. Well, that's not true. I don't lie. But you, I think of the example is someone has a terrible haircut. Like, right. what are you going to do? But I think there's a soft way to say, this looks nice. I, I liked it how you had it better the first time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if somebody like, says, I know. There's, there's, I, I, in general, there's nothing good that comes from lying. Uh, I, like, it's going to come back to get you. On the subject of lying, I had a revelation that has kind of changed the way that I look at people. Mm. It, I thought m- my loved one was lying to me. And in, in my reality, they absolutely were. I mean, they said they were going to do something. They promised <laughs> they would do it. They didn't do it. It's very clear, right? Mm-hmm. But in that person's mind, they didn't lie. They were fully truthful, fully honest. They did the best they could with the resources they had at the time did not realize they had committed to something genuinely did not remember. Mm-hmm. And that was really hard for me to grasp. Um, is that another person's reality doesn't have to be mine and I don't have to take that personally. Mm-hmm. We call that the interpersonal gap. Hmm. So you got person a, with all of their filters, all of the things like your ethnicity, your gender, your religion, your culture, your family culture, 
you know, all the things that you've learned and that's what you filter, what you see through. And then you've got what happens objectively. And then you've got person B and their filters and that's what they say all that stuff through. So the more you can understand your filters and start to be able to recognize the other person has filters and make hypotheses about them, it clears up a lot of things. It, it takes the intensity out of a lot of um, disappointments and misunderstandings when you just go, well, here's what I hoped and here's what I thought was going on. Here's what objectively happened. I'm not sure what's happening for them, but it could be one of these many things. I call it telling alternative stories, alternate stories. And the more I can tell myself alternate stories, the easier I, the easier time I have with people when things don't go the way I want them to go. This sounds like soul school journey outward. (laughs) (laughs) It might come up in there. Yeah. I taught him for interpersonal gap in the first class. No, it's, yeah, Laurel will be an excellent candidate your for the next <laughs> and best student. Also, Laurel remembers everything. I Ooh. well, I think you said to, you said something today, Jessa, that I I want to share. Is you reminded us of the Maya Angelou quote of people don't remember what you did, but how what you yeah, tell what you them, did, but how you made them feel. It's how you, how they felt, yeah. and that's the truth. I. I I do have a, a skill in like photographic memory. I can remember like what you were wearing, what you smelled like, what you were doing, where we were, and like deduce it all out. But what really sticks is, oh, I felt this from you, and this is what you looked like when I was feeling that, and that's mm-hmm. how I can remember. Mm-hmm. And I, and so for business people, employees, entrepreneurs, people who don't have a job right now, you know, because it's COVID, and we need to find jobs for everyone. Um, for me and Rachel, I'm interested in hearing your thoughts. It seems like feelings is the first place to start <laughs> because if that's how you remember everything, if that's your reality, if that's where your struggles are, maybe let's start feeling our feelings. Yeah. I mean, feeling your feelings as long as you have enough safety to do so. Okay. That's the tricky bit. Like a lot of people don't feel safe within themselves whether or not they realize it. And that's why they, they distance from their feelings. Um, but yeah, like getting, getting clear about your feelings is important. Telling the truth is important. Um, you know, for everybody, well, for, I guess for this, this, um, you know, remarkable time that we are in right now, when most of us are confined to home and we're witnessing, what looks like hopefully a revolution for good, we will see. Um, but definitely a lot of upheaval and uncertainty and that can scare everybody. I would say that to me, the most important thing is community that, um, we suffer most when we think we're alone we get really in our head. We tell ourselves a lot of scary stories about the future, which we can't predict anyway. And for me, um, it always comes back to community. So when we went toward lockdown, the first thing I did was secure a lot of structure around connecting with people for myself because I knew I'd need it. For those of you that can't watch us, Justin, I just keep nodding and nodding and nodding (laughs) as you're speaking. You know what? 
as you're talking about this, I mean, the, the context I was reading that quote today was with the recent political events. It's, and and part of that is because, I mean, it's been flat out said, like, Donald Trump lies. Like, he lies, he lies, he lies. And so with, you know, Mitt Romney was on um, the floor saying he lies to us. And the context in which I saw the quote was, like, people don't remember what was said mm-hmm. or what was done is how they feel. And so when they mm-hmm. feel scared or, you know, opposite, hopeful or mm-hmm. connected, mm-hmm. like, that drives people into action. And we can see how people are feeling now and I'm hundred percent, not justifying whatsoever um, the actions. And, but it's, sorry, there's this stupid, we, we set up our podcast today, right by a train track, which was a genius move of the day. I'm interested to see if you could hear it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the trolley. Little? Oh, okay. okay, good. Not too bad. <laughs> You're like pump, face pump. But anyway, um, it's, it's just a recognition or I, or I shouldn't say records. It's very visible how people are feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and the work we have to do to build that sense of community. Cause again, we can't, none of us can do one thing on our own, like nothing, unless you're on that wilderness show in Alaska where they're like living off the land hundred percent by themselves. <laughs> Godspeed to them. They're doing great. But right. um, I don't know. yeah, I mean, something we talked about in the anti-racist group at Hare Hub um, just yesterday, I led a meeting for folks to have some emotional process around the events of, of, um, of Tuesday. Um, was Tuesday, right? I don't even know what day January it was. January 6th. Wednesday? It was Wednesday. Blur's yeah. day. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, it was Wednesday. Um, you know, yeah, like that's, that's the thing is... It, you could watch everybody saying what you would expect to hear. Like, I'm sad, I'm disgusted, I'm angry, I'm scared. Like, we don't really have that wide of a range of emotions. Like, there's pretty much five. And then there's, you know, variations of those as you move outward from the center. But um, as people expressed those emotions, you could see the room start to settle. Like, the Zoom room. You could see people start to like de-escalate in their intensity because we can't, we, we are emotional beings. It's just part of how our survival system is set up in our nervous system. Like we are provoked by our emotions and that's just part of how we're designed. And so we have to be with them and deal with them and, and, you know, give them tenderness and awareness and recognition before we can do anything else productive um thank you for that and oh what are the five like the five feelings oh mad sad glad scared and i think arguably disgusted or something like that okay just so i'm like okay so i have a a point of reference i'm like okay i can start with one of the five and then (laughs) drill down to it there's actually a great if people listening want some resources these are things that i've pulled while teaching soul school um, there's a great feelings wheel. I'm happy to give you the link for, um, I forget where it is, but I'll find it in my, in my files. Um, cause yeah, I mean, I'm teaching amazing adult women and I'll be like, okay, so what were you, you know, what's your reaction to this? And they'll be like, I feel like this and that and the other, I feel like this person blah. No, that's not a feeling. That's a thought. What's your feeling? And they're like, uh, mad, sad, glad, scared disgusted like pick one pick one you know drill down so 
um, we, we don't have a lot of literacy around our feelings and our needs. So, and, and with that and, and what you're talking about and not a lot of literacy, but it's, you know, you're providing a resource and services. So you touched on this a little bit. Well, what's the, what's the future for your business? What does it look like? So I would like to be in the near future um, running concurrent groups of soul school. Uh, I'm nearing full on my clients. Um, I've gotten to the point where I, I can see about how many people I can work with and, and still have time for myself and for, you know, for my own personal work. And, um, you know, because I don't, I'm not fueled by being overly high performing. Um, but yeah, I'd like to be running concurrent groups of soul school, maybe four to six groups a year. Um, you know, bring on my part-time assistant as more full-time to help support that. Um, eventually I'd like to be training people in how to do more of this work. And, um, and I have a couple books and products that I'd love to they're out there, but I'd love to like, I want to actually have a marketing team, you know, and I kind of do now I have a, a part, you know, a team that I've hired, but not, I don't employ them personally, but, um, yeah, having a marketing team to help get those out there because the thing is I've actually created a lot of stuff. I have, I've written three books. I have a really extensive video product using tapping in the Enneagram. That's I think really amazing. Oh my gosh, I forgot to ask you about that. I remember thinking tapping, okay, tapping is new to me and I love Enneagram part two, maybe someday. Sure. But, um. I'm happy to. Yeah, it's, yeah, happy to talk about that another time. So I'd love for those to, I mean, they're just sitting there. I'd love for them to be reaching people and helping people. Um, I know people, somebody just sent me a message on my, on YouTube, I think, or something the other day saying that she was just watching my tapping for Enneagram types videos over and over during pandemic and that it was like the thing that was helping her stay calm and like not be freaking out. I didn't know you had that. I saw your YouTube and I saw you have like quite a following and I found you an insight timer, which I love. And I saw that you have it. I was like mind blown because I, I just, I didn't realize until before the podcast, I was like really drilling down, um, you know, to your, doing a deep dive on the social media and website. Um, so yeah, I can't wait to go look at that. Laurel and I both think we are type sevens. I disagree. Hmm. I just, the complete Enneagram just arrived at my doorstep yesterday. So I'll get back to you. I'm going to Whose book is that? Someone just wrote that. Who's this? Uh, B, BD, B, no, that's Melody Beatty. Um, I'm going to look it up. Is it, is it, um, Sarah Jane's book or is it, uh, it is. I should know this, but several people wrote books in the last two years, and now I don't remember them all. Beatrice, Beatrice, Beatrice Chestnut, mm-hmm. Chestnut, yeah, mm-hmm. that was the one. Oh my god, I had I had like eight books delivered yesterday. I'm, I'm I, not, I would I'm have a different guess if you if you want. I mean, I yes. I have just met you, so everyone who knows the Enneagram, I am not typing anybody in this con- in this conversation. I'm just offering a suspicion. I, I had a guess, so maybe you could confirm my guess. Maybe we'll just see if ours match. We're not typing. From, just from the vibe, because the Enneagram is about motivation. It's about what motivates us and about vibe. That's it. Everything else, <laughs> everything else is, 
informative, but that's not, it doesn't, it can't tell you your type. Enneagram is about energy. So um, just from the vibe, I would not say you're both sevens. That's not my feeling. I could be wrong because I need to get to know more people, people's family of origin overlay can change how their type comes across. There's all kinds of things that can kind of affect how something appears. So that's why typing is very challenging. Um, do you want me to offer a guess? Yes. I want you to guess because I have one that I think I might be if I'm not a seven and I, I have two for Laurel, but I have one that ranks higher than the other. I think seven for you, Jessa, is likely. Um, I could have a couple other ideas, but we'd have to talk for a few more minutes. If you ever want to do like a live typing interview Ooh, session, yeah, we can totally good do that. Idea, 100%. Um, Laurel, my initial guess for you is six. Oh, that's that not what I, no, yeah. I thought one or eight. No. That's what I'm guessing. No. She doesn't, she doesn't. That's not, I, not initially, eight, eight, I'm curious about. Eight would be a possible, just from, from the control and the decision-making perspective. But so far. Who are you? Who am I? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so basic. I was like, yeah, Jessica, go away. We got, we got you, yeah. <laughs> I would be curious about six, and, and I would also be curious about eight. Like, if I were just going to jump off right now and do a typing interview with you, those would be the initial two rule outs I'd be working you on. Want to? Uh, yeah, duh, of course. If you don't have a hard stop, I think we should. No, re- not right now. Oh, I want to do no, it now. It's, it's, no. Oh, Rachel, um, we are interested in doing that, and we will follow up with you at an appropriate time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Thank you from that. Like, okay. <laughs> I so I have on my website. It's rachelalexandria.com, and then I think it's slash find hyphen my hyphen type. So if you or if you just go to rachelalexandria.com slash Enneagram, you'll you can go to a link on that page. It'll be like, if I don't know my type, where should I go? That'll take you to a page where I, I have put up like six or seven different Enneagram typing interviews. So that's also for people who don't know their Enneagram type, who are interested in it, it's a good place. I've I've recommended some tests that you can take, but let me say this: no test can tell you your Enneagram type. Not definitively. It will never do that. It will give you suggestions about things to explore, but you cannot test for someone's energy and true motivations with some sort of written test. It's just not possible. So, Well, I know what we're doing now immediately after this. Um, (laughs) We are at our time, so we'll we'll let you go and enjoy your day. Um, This is how I know she's not a one, by the way. Uh-huh. If Laurel was a one, there's no way she would have said, let's keep going. <laughs> She'd be like, like structure. Oh, my other friend. I have a friend who's a one, like 100% a one. I'll tell you after. If you're I'm, listening, you know who you are. <laughs> she is um, someday. But anyway, um, so we'll wrap up with um, uh, thank you for joining us. And we'd love to wrap up with the three key takeaways. So for the listeners, just kind of three bullet points that people can walk away with. Is that a question? Yeah. So we all directive. (laughs) It's an order. From what we talked about today. It can be anything. It's like, this is what we do. We end our podcast with a three point landing. So three things you want our audience to walk away from. And you could have already said it, or it could be something that just popped up. Stop trying to do everything alone. 
and thinking that you're a failure when you're not doing it. Um, that would be one. Uh, two, everybody who is um, trying, like, how do I say this? Everybody deserves emotional support. Whether that's therapy, whether that's good friends who really listen, whether that's coaching, um, you deserve emotional support and you need emotional support because you're a human and humans need that. And three, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> Being in business is hard. <laughs> And if you don't have it all figured out, you're pretty much like the rest of us. <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you so much. We obviously very much appreciated your time so much. We want more of it. Um, <laughs> we'll talk to you soon. And uh, yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for a great conversation, ladies. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Send it, Jessa. Thanks for listening and visit astellar.co. That's A-S-T-E-L-L-A-R dot C-O for reference materials from the podcast and to connect with Jessa and Laurel. Foxhole Studios specializes in audio production and can work remotely to meet your audiovisual needs whether you live in San Diego or not. Getting a podcast started? Contact the team at info at foxholestudios.com for any and all inquiries.